greetings, dear listeners and friends, and welcome to the newest episode of Fans About Films. As always, talking to you is Lasse Vogt, creator and host of this lovely little podcast. And as always, I have a very interesting guest who is going to introduce himself right now. Hello there. My name is Hunter Ferris. I run the Song Appeal podcast, where we talk about how exactly popular music, including soundtrack music, affects us on a psychological level. That sounds very ambitious, I have to say. Oh, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Um, I, yeah, we discovered each other um, quite a long time ago on Twitter, and I wanted to have you on the podcast for uh, a long time, and you weren't uh, quite available because I, I guess you wanted to um, start your own podcast first, or what was the story again? Well... I wanted to make sure this was beneficial to both of us. Until I had my own podcast started, I wasn't going to be able to put in a plug for you on my side. And so I wanted to wait until I had some until I had my own podcast started. And that took about six months longer than I expected it to. It was an insane process. Oh, man. How come? Well, long story short, there was an insane amount of editing that I didn't expect. And then there was... The fact that my hard drive got fried, <laughs> and the fact that one of them, I was about 10 feet away from the microphone when I recorded it the first time around, so I had to re-record the entire episode, and it was just long. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some of my early episodes are quite long as well. You know, so sometimes it's getting out of hand. I have a lot more control. And then you actually recommended your brother to me. Um, Benson, who I did an episode with quite successfully, and so that was at least um, a, a little something to tie me over uh, until I got you, and yeah, that that, that has been a, a great joy, and I I wasn't like eagerly waiting, like oh, damn it, why, why does it take so long? I was just like, you know, when he's ready, he's ready. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, and where are you um, uh, sitting now, exactly? What city am I in, or where exactly am I at in that? Oh, maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I live in Provo, Utah, in the United States, so it's about ten o'clock my time. Um, and where exactly am I sitting? I am sitting on the couch, looking at my notes, keeping Skype up. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's all I needed to know. Thank you very much. So, um, uh, weird story. My my podcast started off as a pretty um, small thing, just with a couple of friends. And then, uh, over the course of not even a year, uh, I already got like two um, pretty famous uh, uh, Hollywood composers to talk to me. And that, that was just a great... Um, yeah, but they, uh, um, one of them was uh, Douglas Pipes, composer of stuff like Monster House and Campus. Okay. Okay, and um, uh, the other one was uh, just recently um, uh, Christopher Willis, um, a composer of a lot of uh, Disney stuff uh, right now on television, and also um, composer of uh, the score of the newest British comedy, The Death of Stalin. And uh, it was very nice of both of them to uh, to give me their time, and and they turned out uh, pretty uh, pretty nice interviews. And yeah, it's, it's it's weird how uh, the small little thing just kind of exploded in this way. And also I got a lot of interesting people, uh, which I met on Twitter, um, you know, just uh, hanging out with me, talking to me about various stuff. And a lot of these episodes are about film music, which I really didn't anticipate at the beginning. But here we are. 
well, I hope I'm I hope I'm not doing the same thing that every other film music person's been doing on this podcast. I'm sure you. I you're... hope I'm not boring for you. That's for sure. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm sure you're not. Yeah, this was actually um, the topic we are uh, going to be talking about. It was actually your idea. So um, why don't you introduce it to our um, few listeners? So the idea here is. Um, so Hans Zimmer once said that. A director sometimes wants the composer to, in a sense, fix the movie <laughs> by bringing out parts of the movie that the director thinks he didn't put in there. And so the director will make this will make this drama and feel like there's not enough heart, and he'll tell the composer to bring out the heart of the movie. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies have done that in a really interesting way. Where some of their movies, their their themes fit perfectly for their heroes and for their and for the and for the film, but more recently, they've become um, they've they've become the composer trying to pull out something in the movie that almost wasn't there in an attempt to remind us that this actually is a superhero movie because. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies have a bunch of different genres to them? Yeah, um, you, you're kind of right with that. It's it's um, it, it's pretty interesting how um, some of them you can't really, uh, on first look, um, count them as like traditional superhero movies. I still don't count Captain America: The Winter Soldier as a superhero movie. Yeah, uh, I I kind of agree with you there. <clears throat> That's kind of what got me into this whole th that and like. Okay, when was the last time you heard the theme from Doctor Strange? Uh, it was, I, I guess, I think it was last week um, I, I listened to it again on my iPod. When was the last time you heard the theme from Thor Ragnarok? For Ragnarok, oh, that, that was actually yesterday um, because I was uh, editing together um, like like the top ten best uh, scores of the year just to put them in a, a nice little video, and that one is uh, number ten. Uh, so yeah, okay. I, I listened to it just yesterday. <laughs> oh, cool! What is it that made that one number ten in your eyes? Well, it's um, it's a very very different, unique, creative score for this type of genre i think even though it doesn't quite hit the genre of you know superhero it's definitely a marvel movie you know it has a lot of the tropes but it's still kind of an oddity amongst the marvel movies it's a very very quirky very um improvised driven comedy and um, the music uh, kind of reflects this weird 80s nintendo look it has and um mark Mavosbaugh is a very creative composer and uh, he embraced the absurdity and made it really really fun and uh, you can see his ambition to stick out you know you have still kind of like an heroic anthem here and there but as soon as um the plot switches over to sakar uh, it pretty much uh, gets all um you know uh, synthesizers and uh and and really really quirky stuff and yeah that's uh, that's what made it my number 10 just the uniqueness of it all
Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok, when was the last time you listened to the Spider-Man Homecoming theme? Uh, not the one at the beginning of the movie that goes ba da ba da da da. Not 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 the one from the sixties. Yeah, of the course. That keeps playing throughout the movie about Peter. Yeah, it was also last week, just for the same reason uh, in the in the video. But but that one I added in um, a, a little earlier, so uh, I, I haven't listened to it this week yet. But yeah, I, I listened to that one last week. for a second, that I were to hum for you one of those three themes, Doctor Strange, Thor, Ragnarok, or Spider-Man Homecoming, would you be able to tell which one it is? Absolutely. Really? Yes, yes. Um, I have... Um, uh, not, not, not a lot of people know this about me, but I have a very, very good ear when it comes to recognizing music. I discovered that when I... Um, like I, I think I, I, I drove with a car somewhere, and uh, on the radio I had the classic channel, and they sometimes play film scores there, and they uh -huh. played a piece, and I didn't recognize the piece, but I was like, this sounds like James Newton Howard, and then it turned out it was. It was just from a score I hadn't heard before, so I discovered, oh, I guess I have kind of a talent. So I, um, even if you play me a piece of film music, I don't know. The chances are pretty good that I will be able to spot the composer just in terms of style and everything. And so, um, all of it, you know, there's um, a lot of uh, bias going on, like um, uh, in, in in terms that like the, the Marvel music is bland and unmemorable. I could actually hum every single main theme of all of these Marvel movies without any pr uh, without any problem, without really having to think about it. So I guess I um. I'm in a minority when it comes to that. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Benson's in the same spot, my brother. Oh, great. He saw the Marvel Symphonic Universe video from Tony Zhao and said, wait, how do these people not know these themes? And started <laughs> humming all of them. At the time, there were only 13 Marvel movies, but like he, he wanted to prove the point, and he proved the point that these themes can be memorable if you do it right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what weirds me out is how similar those three themes are. Oh, you're kind of, yeah, yeah, you're kind of right, but, uh, you know, in, in two of these cases, it's the same composer. True. That said, Michael Giacchino's a bit of a musical chameleon. Fortunately, he uses that, that ability to blend into genres to pull out the fantasy side of Doctor Strange, but then if, if I just played the themes on a piano, they would be basically the same theme. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it, it kind of you know it's all in the in the details and in in the orchestration and everything because it's it's uh, quite uh, the Doctor Strange theme and my review of it I I kind of uh, compared it to it's like a mixture of Star Trek and Harry Potter. <laughs> see it <laughs> which isn't a 
explanation of the movie itself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're right. I mean, if I were trying to explain the movie to somebody, I would probably say it's Iron Man, where Tony Stark goes to Hogwarts instead of builds the robot suit. Yeah, it's... it's, it's Never thought. With, with Inception sequences. That, that too. I, I, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> never thought about it in the fancy mix with Star Trek side. Um... So one of the things that led me to of thinking about Doctor Strange, thinking about Homecoming, thinking about um, thinking about Thor Ragnarok, and then going on a kick of listening to every single Marvel, uh, every single MCU soundtrack theme. That was exhausting, by the way. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't listen to the entire soundtrack. Just listen to the theme, but still. Um, there's an MCU superhero theme style. Yes. And nobody else does it. Yeah, you're, you're kind of right. Uh, explain yourself more. Okay, so how much how much music how much of a music theory background do you have? Well, uh, my, my my parents are, are both um, classically trained. Uh, my my mother used to be a musical singer, and my father is actually an opera singer. That's cool. It is, that's pretty cool, thank you. So I have uh, quite a lot of classical background, so I uh, always liked to listen to orchestral music, and then I discovered uh, with certain scores my love for film music. So I'm not really musically trained myself like I I, I I know how to sing and everything but I wasn't really good at any kind of instrument and if you and I, and I can't and I can't really read notes I, I'm pretty illiterate when it comes to actual notes so I'm just I'm more of a talented consumer if you will gotcha you listen really well yes <laughs> So it's not like you, uh, it's not, so sit you down in front of an accordion, give you a piece of sheet music, and you're not going to do anything with it, but, um, but you've kind of been marinated in good music all your life. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so here's the theme I'm thinking of. It's a symbol theme, it's about four notes. It's not like there's only four notes to the theme, it's just they pick four notes and do those notes over and over and over again in different orders. Um... It's about four notes, maybe five, maybe three, with very simple rhythms, mostly quarter notes, some eighth notes. It's in minor. It starts on note one of the minor scale, and it's not on the pentatonic scale, meaning that it's not on the minor pentatonic scale, meaning that it does use note seven and it does use note four, it does use note four. So. You've got, for instance, the Iron Man 1 theme. So Iron Man 1 obviously would be the introduction of anything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Marvel Symphonic Universe. Yeah. Um, And it makes sense here. Tony's a small-minded person. He's a small person generally. He just likes to pretend that he's a big person. Like, in his private life, there's not much to his life. There's him, and there's his suits, and Pepper comes in a very, very distant third. Yeah, and his money and everything, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and 
So to represent the smallness of his life, they gave the theme a very small range. Just like, what, four notes in the entire theme? You might be right there, yeah. And from there, it's... It's, um... It pulls out a lot of Tony's... I don't want to be... I don't want to be super Team Cap about this, but let's be honest, Tony's kind of been the greatest villain the MCU's ever had. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely, like, by the, by the point of, like, Age of Ultron, I was like, something's going on with this guy. Yeah. It's a brilliant move. Um, so they, they start pulling out a little bit of his villain side by putting in the minor scale, and they pull out some of his brashness and his arrogance by making it not pentatonic, because pentatonic scales sound wonderful. If you put something on a pentatonic scale, it's almost impossible to make it sound bad. Like, I was working with six-year-olds, and just told them to play on the pentatonic scale, explain what it is really quickly, it's notes one, two, three, and five of the scale. Sorry, one, two, three, five, and six of the scale. And they just started playing stuff that sounded really cool. <laughs> Unless they broke every other rule of music theory, as long as they kept that one. It sounded great. Yeah. So it's almost like it's almost like Ramin Jawadi wanted to intentionally bring out his brashness and his rudeness by putting it on a scale that isn't inherently beautiful. So it makes it makes a lot of sense there. But then they kept yeah. using it for a bunch of themes in movies where it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> when we get to about Avengers, mm -hmm. there's a lot less superhero stuff than I expected in Avengers. In terms of the music, kind of, you know... Well, the movie. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, but, but that, that was, was what the movie's about. You know, it's about this team coming together, and then at the end, they are saving the city and doing heroic stuff. The movie before this, there's not really superhero stuff there. You know, in, in the last third, maybe even like only in the last fourth, they start working together and, and fighting and being heroes. But yeah, before that, that it's, it's, much, it's much more grim, um, I would say. It's almost like half of it isn't about Captain America and Iron Man and the Hulk. It's almost like half of it is about Steve Rogers and Tony Stark and Bruce Banner. Yeah. And what happens when you throw these people with wildly different personalities into one room and just have them talk? That's yeah. some of the most memorable stuff in the movie. And so it's almost like Alan Silvestri's trying to... By the way, I'm not criticizing any of these composers. No, no, no problem. <laughs> I love all their work. Yeah. I think they all did a great job. My role in my role in my podcast work and my role here is never to say that anybody did anything wrong. Not because I don't think they did anything wrong, but because, one, I'm a critical enough person as it is in my daily life. I don't want to be critical on, online, too. <laughs> two, because, well... There's enough people who criticize pop music and soundtrack music. I'd rather step away from the criticism and say, this is what they did, and this is the effect of that. Yeah. And then I'll let you decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And I'll let you decide if that fits there. So, um, I hope I don't sound crit critical here. I'm just trying to figure out how to word this in a way that doesn't sound critical, because I don't mean it to. I, I mean to just observe how the theme brings out things in the movie that you wouldn't think about. Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Um, so we get to about the Avengers, the first one. And 
it's largely an ensemble sitcom drama. <laughs> I don't I don't even know what it is to be honest. It's it, it's, it's kind a of mix it, of an episode of Parks and Recreation without the mockumentary and a six-year-old asking who would win in a fight, Captain America or Iron Man. Yeah, it it has some of those vibes. You're right. And so Alan Silvestri is almost trying to bring out the fact that it is a superhero movie and remind us, by the way, guys, this is a superhero movie, (laughs) not just a drama, not just a comedy. They're still still superheroes by using a theme that's – got a lot of the same elements as Tony's theme in Iron Man 1. Yeah. Where a lot of his... Where a lot of the theme, it's simple, rhythmically. It's only five notes, so it's simple... It's simple... It's got a simple range to it. It's... um, There's nothing particularly unusual about the melody. I mean, the... There's a little ostinato at the beginning of it where it starts sounding almost like Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson, that's (laughs) on a chromatic scale for some reason. But the rest, the the actual melody is pretty much just a normal minor melody, like you might hear if you just sat down to the piano and started plunking around. Not to say that's what he did. It's just, it's a pretty simple melody. It's minor, it's not pentatonic. It's got the same rules to it that Tony's theme does. And that the MCU would later use all of its themes. <laughs> Considering watching it sometime, you should. Like, I've heard so much about it that people are just saying it's lame and it's unforgettable and it's not very good. And like, I've, I don't know. I've just seen so much about it that was lame that I don't really want to. I feel like I'll be wasting my time in watching Iron Man three. You know what? Just, just uh, let me say this. Um, all of the people who tell you that the movie is bad. They are just butthurt Marvel fans who don't get over the fact that they did something original and interesting with a main villain. You know, I get it. I get it. You love the comics. You love how the villain is portrayed there and everything. And nobody can ever change anything you love. But, in ter- <laughs> but you know, in terms of comic book movies and the conventions, it did something interesting. It did something pretty cool. And I was okay with that because I don't know the comics. I didn't know the uh, the, the character um, of the villain. So to me, it came as a very, very well-delivered surprise. And I, you know, you know, without spoiling it or anything. So it's actually... Don't worry, I, will, I already know the Mandarin twist. Okay, okay, so, 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 so that's great. Um, I think all of our listeners do too. So yeah, I, I was by the, uh, with a twist. I, I actually really, really liked it. And you actually knowing... Knowing it going in, if you are at all a fan, you know, of, of the superhero stuff, maybe it will help you. Who knows? But I really like the movie just as an obviously Shane Black movie. You know, he put a lot of his tropes into it and made it his own. It doesn't really feel like 
in, in, in most terms, it doesn't really feel like it's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I thought it was actually pretty cool. You know, I, I like I like the MCU. I like it a lot. But this one, actually, um, before even Taika Waititi uh, did it with for Ragnarok, you know, made it his own. It was it's what it was actually Shane Black um, who who made this one uh, his own thing. And you really should see it. I think it's you know the the script doesn't always make uh, sense. But it's a really inventive and fun plot he's come up with. Yeah. I, I mean, knowing Shane Black, I'm sure he did a lot of great stuff there. Yeah. I hope the Mandarin twist was well done, because it's really easy to do that twist really, really poorly. But like you said, it, it almost feels like Marvel went up to Shane Black and said, do your thing, you can't lose, <laughs> because you're following up the freaking Avengers. And the movie still made a billion dollars, no matter what people thought of it. It still made a billion dollars, even if people thought it was bad. Yeah, because Robert Downey Jr. is... Apparently, if they said, you can't lose, they were right. (laughs) Which makes me so surprised that they told him to do the Mandarin twist. Yeah, but maybe they didn't tell him. He was like, hey, this is my idea, and they were like, hey, go for it. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, like, he didn't want to do the Mandarin twist. Oh, really? The studio told him, you have to do the Mandarin twist. That's interesting. You know, actually, the studio is saying, hey, let's do something totally different. You know, that's not conventional. That's, uh, you know, props to them um, uh, uh, in, <laughs> in terms of, you know, stu- studio executives always wanting to play it safe and cater down to the lowest common denominator and everything. This is actually, you know, knowing this now, that, that actually Marvel Studios said, yeah, do this, and it's something that isn't conventional, I'm really surprised. On top of that, Marvel was the group that said, do the Mandarin all, at all. Ah. Shane Black wanted a totally different villain. I can't remember who it was, but all I remember is that the villain was going to be female, and I honestly cannot remember who that villain was. Huh. I, 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 don't, I don't know anything about the comics, so who knows and who I it was. I can't think of any Iron Man villains who were female except Natasha when she was first introduced back in, like, issue 63 or something. I really liked the classic comics from the 60s. Ah, I'd, all like, right. go to Barnes & Noble, grab a copy of The Essential Iron Man that, help, that would have, like, the first 10 years, 20 years worth of Iron Man comics, and just sit there and read it for an hour. <laughs> Call me a nerd. Because <laughs> oh, I was a nerd. Uh, I, I, I'm I, still pretty nerdy. <laughs> most of my guests are nerds, so you are in uh, in good company here. <laughs> Well, why would somebody be on your show if they're not a nerd? <laughs> yeah, of course. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't so, describe some someone like Douglas Pipes, you know, a nerd, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I would call Michael Giacchino a nerd. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. You listen to the way he talks in interviews and you can just tell, okay, this guy's a nerd. Yeah, also he the, is so proud of it. Also the way he's dressed, the way he gets involved with everything he, he does. It's it, it's crazy. Did you see actually that he has um, a, a visual cameo in Coco? In Coco? Yeah. I knew uh, he was in Tomorrowland, but I didn't know he had a visual cameo in Coco. Yeah, did, did you see Coco? Okay, so this is the weird part. I mean... I saw a test screening of it six months before it came out. Oh. Where they still hadn't finished the story. That's... And then a little while ago, I showed up to a birthday party and saw the last half of it. So I'm still a little confused on what exactly happened in the real version. 
That's really weird. But you know what? That actually kind of explains something because I heard some stories about Brave and how, you know, the, uh, did you did you watch Brave? I still need to see that one. All right. Because there's, a, and this is no spoiler, but, but there's a, a, a character of a witch and she plays a pretty... Um, a pretty big part in the story and I heard some stories that the character of the witch actually wasn't in the movie until half of the animation was finished and then they put her all her whole story in every in everything they put her in there when the movie was all, uh, already like halfway done so I don't know how Pixar does it I really don't know <laughs> it's actually it it works out really well um Pixar doesn't have to spend time on doesn't have to spend as much time on editing or on principal photography because Pixar is going to get one shot and it's going to be exactly the shot, the shot they want because they've already decided for six months exactly what shot they want here and it's going to be edited exactly the way they want because they're animating it yeah which leaves them about what six weeks of extra time to go send it to test audiences. And to run it in the uh, inside the studio to their in-house test audiences, being the storyboarders and the animators and the coffee guys and all those people, and just ask, what do you think, so that they can spend as much time getting test audiences as possible, so that they can fix the movie as much as possible. It's, that, that's one of the brilliant parts about being Pixar. Yeah, yeah, but th when you when you watched the last half hour of a finished product, maybe like um, ha have you seen like like the the big finale, like when they are on the stage and there's the orchestra there and everything? But yeah, yeah. So Michael, um, you know, it's the conductor, isn't he? Yeah, he's the conductor, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. And I didn't recognize him when I saw it, and when I saw like a, a someone tweeted a picture um, of him. Hey, here's Chaikina. I was like, damn it, why didn't I recognize him? so cool yeah that's really cool <laughs> okay back to marvel music yeah um, exactly sorry about the tangent folks <laughs> no worries well no worries <laughs> on my part i like talking about movies um so iron man 3 maybe you can tell me better you can tell me better than i can tell you if captain america is a political thriller in a world war ii movie depending on which captain america movie it is and if spider-man homecoming is a high school comedy and ant-man is a heist what's iron man 3 oh iron man 3 is a shane black movie <laughs> It's a Christmas action movie in the style of Die Hard, Kiss Kiss, Bang Bang, Lethal Weapon. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And he even has, he, he even at some point teams up with a little kid and they hang out for like half an hour and it, it's it's a major part of the movie. So yeah, it, it has all the tropes. Yeah. I mean, from what I've read of Iron Man 3, it's basically Marvel gave Shane Black a camera and said, do your thing. Um <laughs> Because it's just so Shane Black. Yeah, it, and then it's you just... look at the score, and it's us, and it's the Marvel superhero theme again. It's simple, it's minor, it's non-pentatonic. It's simple both melodically and rhythmically, and it's almost like oh, it's almost like Brian Tyler's trying to remind us. By the way, this is a superhero movie. It's not just a standard Shane Black movie. There is a superhero in it. And that just keeps going and going and going. Guardians of the Galaxy 1. It's almost exactly the same theme. 
again. They're doing these four things of making simple rhythms, simple melodies, minor scales, non-pentatonic, over and over and over and over. Guardians of the Galaxy 1, when I was thinking about it a little while ago, thinking about this podcast, it's not a superhero movie. No, it's not. There are no superheroes in it. <laughs> yeah, they're a bunch of, they're a bunch of a-holes. <laughs> oh, they call themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, you've got an outlaw, a couple mercenaries, an assassin, and a guy with a grudge. Yeah. None of them have any superpowers except Groot. And I guess I, I guess Drax has this kind of like um, a, a, a kind of super strength. I mean, he's he's pretty strong. Yeah, and maybe Star Lord has the power of not being asphyxiated when he's in open space and has his hair and hands exposed. Uh, did Did you watch the Did you watch the second movie? Ah, oh, I really need to see the second movie. It's just it's Be- because in that in that way actually. It, it kind of, you know, they don't mention that scene, but when you watch the second movie, you can explain it for yourself why that happened. Why he doesn't get asphyxiated within 32 sec- 37 seconds? Yes. Okay, good, good. Because it felt like that was just a rule of Marvel that in their universe, asphyxiation isn't a thing somehow. Anyway, so you have no superheroes in this movie. By the way, it really sounds like I haven't seen that many movies, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's really weird. Like, oh, I want to talk about superhero scores and especially the Marvel things. And then you're like, oh, I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's a bunch of movies that I just haven't gotten to seeing yet. I have a really long watch list. And there's a bunch of movies that people keep saying, oh, you have to see this movie. And I'm like, um, no, I don't but at the same time if i'm going to be talking about marvel scores and marvel superhero movies would you expect that i would have like seen all the marvel movies at least um <laughs> that i would have actually seen all these movies um at the same time i'm a researcher mm-hmm. that's what i do i live for spoilers i i see oh there's this movie everybody's talking about it even if i'm not going to go see it i'm going to go learn everything i possibly can i'm going to watch clips I'm going to go read everything I can about it. I'm going to read the behind-the-scenes stuff, watch the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, I'm going to know more about the movie once the movie's out than people who have seen the movie, <laughs> if I can. Not because I don't want to watch the movie, but because research itself is inherently interesting to me or something. I don't understand myself sometimes. That, that's not the point. Um, so, Guardians of the Galaxy 1... You have no superheroes in it. And, like, you have a couple of Marvel tropes with the bland MacGuffin and the bland villain? Yeah, you know, I actually, I really like the villain uh, as a counterpoint to the... Yeah, really, because uh, uh, when I first watched this film, I didn't quite know what to make of uh, of him. Because I, I wasn't quite sure. And my brother really disliked the villain. He really disliked Ronan, and I... And when I watched the movie a second and third time, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it now. Because he is supposed to be the counterpoint to this weird bunch of 
anti-heroes. You know, they are all kind of quirky in their own way. I mean, you know, Gamora is, of course, uh, this, the straight woman, but um, they are all, like, you know, they all have their quips, they all have their funny lines and everything, and they are a, a really colorful bunch. And then you have Ronan, this pretty, you know, he's kind of like the most cliched stock villain you could imagine. You know, he's kind of like... He, Good for sports. Yeah, he, you, you could just call him... He's a stark villain. Yeah, he's like, you know, he, he's like one of these Star Wars to Turkish rip-off villains, you know. He, he You could just call him villain man, in a way. But, when I watched the movie repeatedly, I got it. He is deliberately designed like this, and he never smiles. He smiles once, kind of near the end, and that's only because he thinks he won. And when you see it, like, he is this complete humorless guy, you know? He, he is actually, in my opinion, he's the funniest character in the movie. He is so serious, so incredibly serious, and with this booming voice, you know, and with a big hammer and everything, and, and the, the, the black makeup makes it look like he's constantly just frowning and everything, it's just and, and when you see it like that, he's just like this totally counterbalance to the Guardians he is one of the funniest Marvel characters ever it works so incredibly well in my opinion <laughs> I love that perspective. <laughs> Thank Next you. Next time I see Guardians, I'm going to watch it from that perspective, and it's going to make it so much more enjoyable. You Thanks. should. You should. You will laugh every time he pops up. <laughs> Don't worry. I have seen Guardians. Um, <laughs> so you've got Guardians of the Galaxy that effectively, I don't know, a lot of people have said that it's basically Star Wars all over again. I feel like people say that about literally every movie that's set in space. Uh, yeah. I mean, nobody says that about Star Trek. True. Because <laughs> Star Wars is just Star Trek again. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Star Trek, do not murder me. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, um, I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy is, in a sense, Star Trek Beyond in Space. <laughs> That's a stupid description for it. But like... <laughs> that is... That name is so horrible, I love it. <laughs> and the entire movie, it's not a superhero movie. No, no, it's really not. Like, even the climax, they don't have a final fight scene. Not really. They, they, have... they just have a couple of guys standing around and having a dance-off. Yeah, and then they and have... And then they then... save the world literally through the power of friendship. Yeah, through power of friendship, it's awesome. And I feel like Tyler Bates pulled out, yet again, the Marvel score, the Marvel theme. Not like it's the same theme every time, but it's got the same rules to it over and over and over and over and over again. Just to remind us, this is a superhero movie. It's not just Star Wars. It's not just Star Trek. It's still a superhero movie. And if he hadn't done that, if he just... if I feel like if you rescored Guardians of the Galaxy using John Williams or Michael Giacchino music... It wouldn't be a superhero movie. Huh. He, you, you got a point there. But I really like the Guardians theme. And also... I do too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't say you, you wouldn't. But um, there's something about the, all these composers. You know, you were talking about Tyler ba uh, Brian Tyler with uh, Iron Man 3 and now Tyler Bates with, with Guardians. And they use the theme, as bombastic as they are, appropriately. In Iron Man 3, he doesn't... 
throw the theme around all the time, he uses it when, when there is an heroic superhero-like moment. Like when he puts on the suit, when all the um, when the army of Iron Man's arrive and everything, so that's um, and also in Guardians you hear the theme in its full force first when they enter the control room and they are all and they are all together. So whenever there's yeah. a triumphant moment for them and everything, and so yeah, you can kind of describe it as like yeah, it's a bombastic superhero theme, but also you have to consider. This is a big, overblown space opera. You know, everything is exaggerated, <laughs> and so the same the same rules apply to the music. And so, in my opinion, uh, it really works. Here's where it gets weird. All right, that's not the right theme for half these movies. That theme shouldn't be in half these movies, or at least not according to a lot of not according to the perspectives that a lot of music theory might have. A lot of music theorists and film theorists and musicologists or whatever or whatever you want to call them would say that these should be heroic themes. They shouldn't be in minor. They should be full of fourths and fifths. Instead, these themes are full of um, minor seconds, minor thirds, and minor sixths. It's almost like they're trying to not be the Superman march. Ah, okay. I get it. Because, like, in the American mind, up until Iron Man 1, the Superman march was the only superhero theme. Yeah, you got a point there. Everything else was, oh, that's the Spider-Man theme. It's It's not the superhero theme. Or that's the Batman theme. It's not the superhero theme. You hear Superman, you're like, oh, that's superheroes. Yeah, I mean, it's a Spider-Man, it's, it's uh, Danny Elfman's Spider-Man, it's close, kind of. But it's uh, still not the typical kind of superhero theme, you know, really heroic, full out. Yeah, that's that's John Williams Superman. You're right. Yeah, and so instead of going in the direction of John Williams as Superman and playing off of what Americans already understood as the superhero theme, maybe the rest of the world understood as the superhero theme. Marvel decided to create its own version of the superhero theme so that, hypothetically, if you want to make another superhero movie that isn't actually in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and isn't in the DC Extended Universe, you could make it feel like a superhero movie just as much by having the John Williams-style theme as having the Marvel-style theme. Yeah. Yeah. I'm following you. The problem is that theme doesn't fit for half these people. I mean, why does Spider-Man get the get the same style of theme as Tony and as the Guardians of the Galaxy and as the entire Avengers? Why is he getting the same style of theme? That that feels like it doesn't fit. Well, to me, it fits because it's a, it's a lighter 
version of this kind of theme than the other ones you know it's uh, that's also part of the orchestration also how it's used you know you don't hear it in full form you hear it uh, like on uh, you know, in 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 a, in a pizzicato version and everything, you know, what you hear it's, it's sometimes small, sometimes in in a funny way, but also it kind of puts you in the mindset of Peter Parker himself, who really wants to be a superhero, and so the theme kind of, you know, I, I imagine this theme. Oh kind my of, gosh! I imagine this theme kind of playing in his head while he's doing all of these things, and so yeah. So may I think I think when you see it like that, it works. homecoming and i realized wait a minute this isn't this is a wait is it a superhero movie like it feels like homecoming is a high school comedy that keeps getting interrupted by a superhero movie like we're gonna spend about five or so minutes building up to this big party or where peter's gonna have some sort of high school experience and then he just leaves the party and goes and bees a superhero it goes and is a superhero yeah, but that's kind of also part of the character, you know, him handling exactly. his, his private life and handling uh, all all of the stuff, you know, with with being a superhero. It was kind of like what Amazing Spider-Man Two was, where it's it's pretty much a high school, not not really high school, you know, but it's it's like it's like a teen romance drama that gets interrupted by a superhero movie. But in that case, I liked the drama way more than any of the superhero action. But in this yeah. one, in Homecoming... Let's it not was... give Amazing Spider-Man 2 any more props than it needs. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't hate that movie, but I get uh, I get it. Um, but it's uh, in, in Homecoming, it's balanced out uh, a, a bit better. And um, it's, it, it works because you, you are interested in all of these characters, you know? None of the... You know, you're actually interested in the villain. You're interested in... Yeah, and you're always sad when Peter doesn't succeed. You're sad when he can't hang out with his friends, you know, when he can't really get into the romance and everything. You're, you're really sad for him, and, and that's why why it works so well. But also the action is well enough executed that you're not bored by it, that you want him to succeed in that regard. Yeah, it's, it's brilliantly done that it's... Uh... It's a movie about a high schooler whose high school life keeps getting interrupted by the fact that he's a superhero, and so it's a high school comedy that keeps getting interrupted by the fact that it's a superhero movie. <laughs> but fundamentally, it's a high school comedy. Yeah. And so kind of just to remind us yet that, yes, this is a superhero movie, Michael Giacchino pulls out the superhero theme again. It's minor. It's non-pentatonic. It's very simple melody. It's a very simple rhythm. He does exactly the same thing for Doctor Strange, just to remind us: no, this is not just a, this is not just Harry Potter meets Inception. This is a superhero movie. Doctor Strange doesn't even have a final fight. Yeah, he hasn't. It's an intellectual duel. Yeah, his final fight is essentially him running a gambit or playing a game of chess, which makes perfect sense for Doctor Strange. It, but it really makes it feel like not a superhero movie until you put in the score. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Ragnarok, like, this... Ragnarok... I don't know. Is this a good description of Ragnarok? Yes, I've seen it. Um, it's a superhero movie that can't keep a straight face. <laughs> That's brilliant, yeah. It wants to be serious, but at the same time, it is having so much fun that it just keeps laughing and having a great time. When it really wants to be actually, it, it, halfway through the movie, it just says, forget the serious thing, I'm just going to have fun with this. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, it's 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 pretty far out there in its concept, but it, was, it would be kind of like, you know, if you're watching Lord of the Rings, um... And uh, it, it's, a, it's a film that's purely, you know, in a fantasy world, you know, it's kind of grounded in terms of some of the designs. But some of these, you know, you have, you have these fantasy creatures, you have these characters and, and, and these different areas and worlds and everything. And you have, you know, big heroic themes because it's appropriate. But yeah, imagine if in Lord of the Rings, one of the characters, like, would wink at the camera and like, ah, this is a fantasy, don't worry, you know, don't take this too seriously. And uh, yeah, that, that would be, it would be the equivalent of that. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Honest Trailers mentioned that I know this isn't a great source, but like it's they've got a point that the that the heartfelt moments get undercut by jokes, and the sad moments get undercut by jokes, and the awesome moments get undercut by jokes. Yeah, some, uh, some of the awesome moments then don't. They, and then it felt like Mark Mothersbaugh wanted. To, sorry, go ahead. Uh, some some of the some of the awesome moments don't you know the the uh, the Hulk four fight is, is for the most part um, you know is straight faced in a way and it's um, the uh, the finale you know when he comes in with uh, when he comes in with uh, with that song you know and, and 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 murders all the skeletons and everything you know they let play that moment for for a bit but it's still in this kind of absurd world that you are almost taking it seriously, but they take it, you know, a bit too far in terms of the action, so you are still aware of the fact that, yeah, this is overblown, you know, and it's kind of silly, and we know it. Yeah, but but you're pretty much right. So, you've got this movie that's so much a comedy that it almost eclipses the superhero side of it, almost, and it's so weird and so out there, and it makes me wonder, wait, did they only have the Marvel superhero theme in here? to remind us that this is a superhero movie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it's, uh, it's a theme that's appropriate for the movie, you know? It's, it's, it's something that's definitely heroic, but also pretty spacey, you know? It's, 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 in a, it's in a way pretty old school, you know? So something like uh, in, in a fantasy sci-fi movie you would see maybe like in the, in the early 80s. At the end, at the very end, when he's, uh, you know, when he's actually accepted as the king of the Asgardian people, they actually bring back um, Patrick Doyle's theme from the first movie.
to actually ground itself in a way that, hey, if this has come full circle and this is still the the kind of like the, the basis it's all built on. But um but it, it comes in an in an appropriate time and uh, and the rest of it. You know it's 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 this it's this spacey synth synthesizer, semi heroic theme. Yeah. Now just to clarify something, the instrumentation fits perfectly <laughs> yeah. in all these I mean when I heard that Michael Giacchino is going to be scoring Spider-Man Homecoming, that was the highlight of my week. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. I, somebody asked me later, what's the best thing that happened to you this week? And I said that. <laughs> because I knew he would score exactly the way that a Spider-Man movie needs. Yeah. That it would be a bunch of pizzicato strings, that it would be sweeping melodies, that it would be beautiful and still kind and, and still pretty superhero-y, still a little bit minor, that it would balance the that, that it'll balance the movie perfectly. Sorry, I'm a huge Michael Chicchino fan. Um, <laughs> it the instrumentation fits perfectly in all these movies. I mean Doctor Strange would the, the score wouldn't be itself if it were any other genre of music. Iron Man One, the score is very technological it's very electronic it fits perfectly for the movie mm-hmm. it's the theme itself i'm talking about not the instrumentation for the theme yeah. but like if you just plunk this out on a piano just the melody or if i just hum them or if you just hum the melody t- to me yeah that melody it's not the melody you would expect for thor ragnarok except to remind except because it's the marvel superhero theme and they're bringing us back into, by the way, this is a superhero movie. It's you, not just your standard, it's not just a comedy. You're right, you're right, you're totally right. Fortunately, Marvel hasn't always done that. <laughs> Remember Ant-Man's theme? Yeah, uh, I, that's one of my favorite Marvel themes. Same. Partially <laughs> because I just love Mission Impossible so much. Um, part of what makes Marvel's themes is the fact that they play on the tropes that people understand about music but people don't know they understand them. Hmm. They pull on the things that are distinctive, memorable, and um, and strikingly done in other music. So in Ant-Man, Mission Impossible's theme is one of the only pieces that people could hum off the top of their heads that was in 7-8 time. Ant-Man's theme is also in 7-8 time. Both of them have ostinatos that focus only on minor seconds and minor thirds. Both of them have both of them have melodies on top of those ostinatos that focus mostly on arpeggiated chords. Wow, I sound like a music theorist. Um, they have this little repeated section that has tiny little movements in the melody, which makes perfect sense considering they're ants who are going marching one by one. And um, and both of them have these melodies on top of that ostinato. It's almost like Christoph Beck is intentionally trying to recreate the Mission Impossible theme without ripping them off. <laughs> I haven't thought of that, yeah.
Captain America, the first Avenger. By the way, random question. Captain America, the first Avenger, is almost about fighting the Germans. Do they call it Captain America in Germany, or do, or does it have a different title? And I, oh, actually, um, the the weird thing um, is here here in Germany, the official titles for the Captain America movies are actually um, the, the first one is called the First Avenger, the second one is the Return of the First Avenger. And the third one is the first Avenger Civil War. I really don't get that, because in the movies they call him Captain America. Every German knows him under the name Captain America. And he's I really never and, and, called the first Avenger in the movies. No, he's not he technically is, but he's not called that. Yeah, you're right. But it's it's so weird to me because I think that was actually a marketing decision for like, oh the Germans don't like the Americans. And I was like, bullshit they <laughs> You know, it's like, of course, you know, um, we are um, we are always confronted in certain Hollywood movies with this kind of German history, you know, with with the Nazis and everything. And um, but uh, in Captain America, it's so far away from reality. You know, it you don't you you only see a swastika like two times in the whole movie, and um, for the most part, it's like these fantasy Nazis who are actually worse and than the Nazis. And it's not actually Germany that he's fighting. He's fighting Hydra. Yeah, yeah, right. In, which in The Return of the First Avenger... I'm sorry, that sounds like something from the 70s. <laughs> uh, that is such a cheesy title. It is, yeah. Anyway. Um, they actually, we in, actually change... Uh, in the film itself, the, the title actually looks different. When, we, uh, when the title comes in at the end, it actually says First, Aven First Avenger Civil War and all that stuff. So I, I really don't get it. Uh, I, it's like, you know, also some of the older cinema goers will go buttered over the fact that America is in the title. And I'm like, this is so weird. This is really, really weird. I don't know. But it's... It, I, 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 don't, I really don't... I don't understand it. I seriously it. doubt that they had Captain that they had the first Avenger in every movie in every country that wasn't America. That would be really weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be. Yeah, but uh, whatever, you know, let, let them do what they do. These these marketing people in Germany are, 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 are kind of. Here, weird. tell you what, you should hold an interview with one of the marketing people at Marvel and specifically ask why they called it the first Avenger in Germany. I really should. Maybe I should reach out to someone. You know, someone on Twitter maybe will be able to explain. I would be interested in that. <laughs> but I think okay. that's a reason. I think that's a reason. Just the word America. So I'm going to call it Captain America because apparently you think of it as Captain America. Yes. Um, I, I refuse to so call Captain it First Avenger. That's just stupid. Fair. So Captain America 1... It's a standard military march. Yeah. And everybody who hears it says, oh, this is, this is a military march. It fits perfectly for the movie. It's full of forts. It's major. It's harkening back to, like, every one of John Williams' themes ever.
Richards, a music commentator on filmmusicnotes.com. I'm really wondering, is that the same Mark Richards who teaches film music at Florida State University? I could not find whether it was the same Mark Richards, but it might be. I don't know. (laughs) So, he, he was talking about how, and I quote, Fort's tend to suggest strength and heroism. Now, that's not an all, that's not always a rule, but when you have a theme that's almost nothing but forts, you kind of wonder, wait, is that what you're going for here? And I think it's absolutely what they're going for. During And it makes perfect sense for the movie. During The Incredible Hulk, you get these low minor growls, you get these high-pitched ostinatos, you get a chromatic scale sometimes, or you get stuff on the chromatic scale sometimes. It's almost like the movie is trying to make you feel the way that Banner and everybody else feels about the Hulk. Yeah. It's almost like the first couple... Also, it was kind of a psychodrama, so it makes sense to have a a theme that's nothing but dread. We're trying to we're trying to have the score that fit with the movie, and the rest of them, the director was trying to pull out something in the movie and remind us, by the way, I know we didn't say this in the movie, but in a way that makes us that the score completely changes the feeling of the movie. <laughs> I don't know if that's brilliant on the composer's part or lazy on the director's part or both. I'm not going to blame any of these directors for being lazy or anything like that. Who knows? I, I, I think a lot of directors, and, and that's coming from um, uh, from from a director actually who who worked with a musician for for some of his for some of his films. Um, I think um, some directors kind of are. I don't know. I wouldn't call them musically illiterate, but they are aware of the fact that certain things work. And they want to use that as well. And sometimes you also have studio pressure. You know, that's why we get so many um, remote control scores that that kind of sound the same. Especially, um, we had this especially in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, And that's the... Yeah, yeah, because that's something that works. That's something uh, a certain demographic likes. And it, 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 it totally works. But I think um, as some of the directors, you know, they, they got used to using these these um, scores for temp tracks, and so the, the the composers are kind of, you know, there are, there are certain interviews about this, and also like uh, uh, essays, you know, where where composers talk about that the that the temp temp track isn't isn't always helping much, and it's it's kind of it it can it, it can be it can be distracting in a way, but you know it. it yeah once said, speaking of which, um, Danny Elfman once said, the temp tr- said, and I quote, the temp track is the bane of my existence. Yeah, I saw that. It is my goal in every movie to get the director to forget that there was a temp track and to <laughs> like my track so much that the director for completely forgets there's a temp track. Okay, that wasn't exactly the quote, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, um, and that's a, you know, that's a noble goal, you know, and, and I think for, it, it works for the most part. Uh, be, because in in case of Elfman, I I haven't really heard much cases where he sounds like 
a possible temp track were used and maybe uh, sometimes you know his Wolfman score it's, it's kind of like a blatant too blatant homage to Wojciech Killer's uh, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula um, but but you know I I totally get it yeah. like um a lot of these mcu themes are exactly what would fit best for the movie and like you were saying about studio interference and actually not interference about studio mandates um nine of marvel's what are we on 18 movies mm. 20 i have a list here of every marvel movie no i and think what their theme is yeah i i think it's 18 by this point uh with black panther it's 18 oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i yeah, it is 18. Um, so nine of these 18 movies have the superhero theme that Marvel uses over and over again. That's literally half of these movies having the Marvel theme. Yeah, I mean, you you keep calling it the Marvel theme, and, and, I, and, I, and I can see uh, why. You know, it's, it's certainly something that's, that sounds... Similar, you know, that's something you you kind of associate with these types of mu movies now, because even in terms of like certain s superhero movies, because because they're not all superhero movies, Marvel is Marvel has built themselves a, a pretty unique vision in the way you know this is what Marvel is, this is what the MCU looks like, sounds like, acts like everything. Even though there yep. are there are exceptions, of course, you know, Black Panther actually uh, did a pretty good job. Um, not being for the most part an obvious an obvious uh, part of of this universe, you know, trying to do its own thing with a story, also with a look. You know, you can st you still can see it's part of this universe, but it's still kind of its own thing. And also the Captain America, you know, two and three at least, they are trying to do and really succeed in making them feel differently in terms of tone in the style the action is used, in the style of the acting, and weirdly enough, those directors are uh, comedy guys, and they are directing the most serious Marvel movies out of all of them. And it's uh, the fact that they are also doing Infinity War actually gives me a lot of hope that that one will have weight, will have something that is that will have a great deal of influence over the, the following movies. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I mean, okay, have you seen Joe and Anthony Rousseau's work on Community? Um, I I don't like the show Community. I maybe I've seen like two episodes of it. I I really don't I don't like the show at all. I I get I, I get why it's popular. I just my problem is I despise all of these characters. That's that's fair. <laughs> I mean, Jeff's right. You're all terrible people. <laughs> yeah.
Um, the reason I bring up Community at all. So Joe and Anthony Rousseau have directed, I believe, between between them, 21 episodes of Community? Yeah, that sounds about right. And all those episodes are the most serious episodes of the show. Not because they are serious, but because they were trying to do serious things. That's they were trying to do a civil war. They were trying to do a detective movie. They were trying to do a Batman movie. And it worked. And they showed so much range and so much diversity. Honestly, I would trust Joe and Anthony Rizzo to do pretty much any genre they want. By now, yes. Just because their work on community, I would trust them to do pretty much any genre they want. And then they come out and do Winter Soldier and, and Civil War, and I'm thinking, okay, yep, you proved your action chops. Good job. Yeah, I was blown now, away. I was blown away by Winter Soldier because it didn't like the first Captain America movie. Um, to, to me, it just felt like a distraction until we finally got to uh, got to make uh, the Avengers. You know, it's like, oh, we have to make this movie before this. It just felt so uninspired to me, and also like the the overall old school Americana style with a big musical number in the middle. It kind it kind of got on my nerves a little bit. I have warmed up to it, but I still not like it very much. But with a second, so I went into the f a second one with a pretty bad attitude. And came out of it and said, this is one of the best movies in the series. <laughs> it's one of the best movies of the decade. It's Captain America, Captain America the Winter Soldier is amazing. Okay, by the way, Captain America the Winter Soldier's theme. This one, I wanted to save for later because this one's really, really, really weird. Hmm. It's not the superhero theme. It's not the political thriller theme that you would expect out of a political thriller. It is literally a descending minor scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, like literally a descending minor scale. I teach, I teach piano for a living, and almost every student I had for about six months was going to learn the Captain America Winter Soldier theme so that they could learn the minor scale really, really well, because it's just a minor scale. Can do that in their first lesson. <laughs> My students can do that by literally plugging around before they have even had a lesson. Yeah, but but you know, know why he was paid. But you know, I'm sorry, that was really. Weird. But you know, some of the most simple things can be some of the greatest things. What's the te What's the theme of Jaws? Da -da. <laughs> <laughs> when when John Williams showed Steven Spielberg the Jaws theme, Spielberg later commented, "I thought John had lost his mind." <laughs> <laughs> um, he so won an Oscar the Captain America for that. Winter Soldier theme 
on a rewatch, it means something completely different. When did Captain America the Winter Soldier come out? Uh, 2014. When did Fast when did Furious 7 come out? Oh, I don't know. I don't watch that series. Uh, sorry. I really like <laughs> Furious 7. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. 2015, Furious 7 comes out. All right. 2015, Mad Max Fury Road comes out. I'm sure you've seen Mad Max Fury Road like 15 times by now. <laughs> I, I, I've seen it twice. Ah, <laughs> uh, Okay. All three of those movies use exactly the same theme. Yeah, that, that chord progression. Yeah. But, but and on I, top of that, there's a... Go ahead. But I actually thought, I actually thought Mad Max Fury Road kind of invented that, that very, very quick, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, progression for, for sore strings. the Winter Soldier, that's the Captain America 2 theme. Kind of. If, if the Captain America 2 theme is a little bit more, I don't know, musically, you know, uh, melodic in a way. You know, it, it has a little bit yeah. more more depth to it. And the uh, the, the, um, the Fury Road theme is, is much more aggressive and much more simple. Sorry, it's the Captain America 2 theme played by a series of blenders. <laughs> And in Furious 7, they do exactly the same theme. There's a part where they go, ba da 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 dum ba da 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 dum All right. I'm probably butchering it, but it's exactly the same theme. And so you hear you hear the Fury 7 soundtrack, you hear the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack, and then you go watch Captain America the Winter Soldier again, like everybody's doing for the Road to Infinity War, and you feel like, oh my gosh, this is an action movie theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> And maybe it's the movie that codified that action movie theme? Who but knows? But still, going on a rewatch, the psychological effect is still there, that it draws on the themes from Furious 7 and Mad Max Fury Road, two of the furiest movies of the last decade, two of the biggest action movies of the decade, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a huge, bombastic, over-the-top action movie. Yeah. But also in the Captain America uh, theme, if, if if it comes to that theme, it, it actually it, it has a, a kind of like a tragic hint to it, you know, in a way that it's it's not, you know, it, it's not really a an heroic theme. It's it's something that has a little bit more depth to it. Something that you have to think about. That's why I actually um, like some of some of the, that music in, in the second Captain America and uh, in. Um, in uh, Fury Road, you don't have that. It, it's uh, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty aggressive. It's very simple. And actually, uh, because I thought that this kind of um, a string progression was created in Fury Road, I kept hearing the same thing in various movies after that. You can actually hear these strings. Da 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 da. You can hear that in um, uh, Ninja Turtles: Out of the Shadows. You can hear it in Lego Batman movie. You hear it in, in several other things.
Yeah, he it is a Lego Batman. It is a Lego Batman. Actually, the very first track you can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, every once in a while I just go, "Oh, that's so cool." <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's cool, or maybe it's lazy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it fits well for that scene. That's for sure. It does. At the same time. So when my brother Benson, whom you who you interviewed, whom you interviewed, I don't care. Um, a little while ago, when I'm at home with him, he's playing soundtrack music like 16 hours a day. Yeah, that's why he understands soundtrack music so darn well. Whenever the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack comes on, everyone in the house is just like, "Please change that! Please change that! <laughs> it doesn't fit anywhere except when you're driving." <laughs> yeah. You and then when you are driving on the freeway, you're like, I need, I need the Fury Road soundtrack. If I, but if I do the Fury Road soundtrack, I'm going to go 20 miles over the speed limit. <laughs> I probably shouldn't turn on the Fury Road soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> oh, forget. <laughs> I feel like I've made my big point for for this podcast discussion interview, whatever you want to call it basically that marvel has a very specific theme it's a simple theme melodically it's only a few notes it's a simple theme rhythmically it's mostly quarter notes and eighth notes mostly um it's minor it's non-pentatonic um they'll pick like four or five notes and just use those over and over again in almost a random order almost it feels like they throw four notes into a hat pull out those those notes and then play them in that order. And so maybe there's some composer out there who's working on some small film and wants to make it feel like a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely okay. um, Brian Tyler's The Mummy. <laughs> Apparently, Marvel spent enough time making this theme feel like a Marvel theme that they could make literally anything feel like a Marvel movie. They made a high school comedy feel like a Marvel movie, and they made a space opera feel like a Marvel movie, and they made Harry Potter feel like a Marvel movie, and they made a straight-up comedy feel like a Marvel movie by doing this theme over and over and over again. Or maybe there's somebody who's just wondering, wait, 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 Guardians isn't a superhero movie. It's a space opera. Why do? Why does it feel like a superhero movie? Well, hopefully that gives a little bit of insight to the composer and to the listener. <laughs> yeah, and maybe you, uh, we can't call it, you know, the same theme, you know, the same Marvel theme. It's just the same type, the same style of theme. Because it's yeah, definitely it's just... not... I, I get when you say it's the same theme, but it's not. You know, that's actually, um, as we mentioned, I can... I could hum you every, every one of the uh, of the Marvel uh, movie themes. There's a distinct difference between them, but it's it's the same style. You're totally right. I'm actually really impressed that you can hum every Marvel theme off the top of your head because if you played for me the Doctor Strange theme, and then the Iron Man three theme, and then the Spider Man Homecoming theme, and then maybe even the Avengers theme, but definitely the Guardians one theme. And just played them for me on a piano. Just the melody. I'm a music analyst. That's my thing. <laughs> saying I'm a researcher, I'm a piano teacher. No, like my podcast analyzes music. That's all I do on my podcast. And I would not be able to tell you the difference just because they're so similar in their style and their structure and their melody and 
that their melody is just so similar that I really wouldn't be able to tell you which one is which. I'm really impressed that you can. Yeah, but, but, but I totally get when, when somebody um, kind of can't. Before we sign off, I want to tell you a little funny anecdote about two of the Marvel soundtracks I discovered. Sounds good. So, um, we talked about um, the Spider-Man Homecoming theme and about the Ant-Man theme. Now, how many notes does the, the, the bare minimum of the um, Ant-Man theme have? It's eight. Yeah. It's eight. All right. Now the Spider-Man. It's kind of a rhythm, but it's also the theme. One, two, three, four, five, six. Exactly. Now, how many legs does a spider have? Eight. Yeah, and how many an how many legs does an ant have? Six. Yeah, do you see the problem here? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like the themes were switched. I'm going to take a guess that Peyton Reed and that Peyton Reed and Christoph Beck were not thinking. Whoa, whoa, wait. We need two less notes in the ostinato because we need the theme to have six legs. But wait. but it, we know that would be actually. Ones. That would be a funny idea, you know. That, that, that would have been uh -huh. that would have been a funny idea. But then, uh, because I I recognized that when I listened to Ant Man, I was like, oh, that's a shame. It's eight. It's eight. But you know, whatever, whatever. You know, maybe they weren't thinking anything about it. But then Spider Man you Homecoming were just really looking for an Easter egg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then Spider Man Homecoming has six, and I was like, no, this can't be. This just can't be. This can't be an accident, you know. This is this is like this is like these theme, two themes were switched. You know, these two themes are for the wrong movie. <laughs> okay, okay. Maybe this will assuage your storming mind. Um, do you know what a foot is in poetic rhythm and poetic meter? Not particularly, no. Okay, it's a group of syllables that only has one stressed syllable. That's a really loose definition of it, but it works. Okay. So, like, if you heard, I don't know. She said, where do you want to go? How much do you want to risk? She said, would be one foot. Okay, okay. Where right. yeah, would be one foot. Perhaps if you go listen to the Ant-Man theme or the Spider-Man Homecoming theme, you'll find out that the Ant-Man theme has eight, has six feet to it somewhere in there. <laughs> and that the Spider-Man Homecoming theme has eight feet to it in the melody, not just in the, not in the rhythm, the, not, sorry, not in the lyrics because, well, obviously, but... Maybe you'll find there are eight feet or six feet in there somewhere. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? That will be funny. Um, so, um, now we have come to an end. We have we have taken a little overtime there, but that's all right. That's no Seriously, problem. I did not expect that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't either. That, that's, that's so great. Before we say our goodbyes, where can people find you on the net of the Inter? <laughs> okay, so... My website is songappealofficial.com. You can find all the episodes of my podcast there. You can also find my podcast on iTunes, iTunes Podcast Station, Google's Podcast Station. I'm working on getting it on Spotify. It's on Stitcher. It's on Overcast. I'm 
basically I asked everybody I knew where do you listen to podcasts and I just put it there because I want to make it as available to people as possible. But the easiest way would be to go to songappealofficial.com where you can also find links to the show notes where you can find links to contact me or find my Patreon or whatever else you want, Facebook, Twitter. All the links are on my website. So that's probably the easiest way to go, songappealofficial.com. Great, great, amazing. And any anywhere else? <laughs> <laughs> Basically everywhere else. <laughs> Facebook, um, Twitter. <laughs> I I try to be as present as possible on the web just in case somebody's only on Instagram and they still want to hear what on earth I'm saying for some reason. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> well, um, let, let me just say I had uh, a great time talking to you. You have been a very, very fun and informative guest. I have learned so much today. Um, and, oh, I, and and I'm sure the listeners have too. You know, it's 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 nice to to talk with someone. You know, I and uh, the various composers I've interviewed, they've also talking talking about stuff like that. But you know, uh, about this specific kind of film series, it was pretty cool diving into all the details from a professional kind of like musician's point of view in a way. You know, like like someone who really knows his stuff. Um, It, it 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 has been it has been a lot of fun and like I said very very informative I can't thank you enough for being a part of this and let me say this won't be the last time you will be on this podcast you're welcome back anytime and we can talk about anything else you know maybe something that's not film music related just something about uh, movies because you seem to know a lot of stuff and seem to want to talk about a lot of these I like movies I like research. I go look in the background a lot. A little while ago, I was watching Mission Impossible 4. It's one of my favorite movies. Spent half the movie trying to figure out what year it was set in. <laughs> I overanalyze. It's what I do for fun. That's great. That's great. Yeah, but alrighty. Thanks a lot, Lassa. <laughs> oh, the, the, you, you're welcome, my friend. It's it, it's it's been very very fun, dear listeners. Uh, that was um, our uh, newest episode. You can find me, of course, on Facebook and on Twitter at Lasse Vogt. You can find all of my stuff on YouTube. Um, channel name Vet Depart, or if you just type in Lasse Vogt, all of the podcast episodes are there. I hope I can put them somewhere else in the near future. And I also write professional German soundtrack reviews for scoregeek.wordpress.com. Thank you again, dear listeners, and thank you for your time. Thanks, Lasse. I had a great time. <laughs> great. And goodbye and good night. 